Amen. I appreciate the music this morning, the songs, the offertory. That was a blessing and rejoicing in my soul. And you'll probably never know the blessing that it is uh, to individual people. But those of you that serve uh, in that capacity, thank you and praise the Lord. Uh, stay faithful. Keep doing it. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, please. We continue in our series through the book of John, the Gospel of John, Sunday mornings. And we are in the middle of John chapter 3. Last week, we began this chapter and it began to detail the conversation that Jesus had between himself and a man named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, who had come to Jesus by night with questions. And he had, we assume, he needed to do that, felt like he needed to come by night for fear of his uh, Pharisee brothers and those who hated Jesus to be seen with him, to be talking with him, would have brought upon himself, uh, no doubt, a frown from uh, the other Pharisees. So he comes to Jesus by night with questions. And he said, nobody can do the things that you do except God be with you. And so clearly Nicodemus uh, was curious in his heart and mind as to exactly who Jesus was. The answer that he got from the Lord is something that he probably didn't expect. Jesus went right to the heart of the issue of Nicodemus, that you need to be born again. You must be born again. In other words, he had to experience the new birth. Jesus said you must experience this birth in order to even see and in order to enter into the kingdom of God. In other words, he needed to be saved. Well, we find ourselves in verse 16 of John chapter 3, and we're going to look at just verses 16 and 17 this morning uh, as our text. And the Bible says, as Jesus continues in the narrative here, uh, with his di discussion with Nicodemus, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus says very plainly to Nicodemus, that he was the one who came into this world to provide salvation for all men, to provide the new birth. He was the way of the new birth that Nicodemus needed to experience. And we'll get into this in just a minute. But let me say this to you this morning, the matter of salvation. And pay attention, please. Our church is full of people who know the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. But there are some of you here who are not saved. The matter of salvation is of vital importance to everybody. Under the sound of my voice, to everybody throughout the entire world, all over this country today and all over the world today, and, and different time zones are far ahead of us. This message of Jesus Christ, this matter of salvation, has been preached uh, countless times. It's of vital importance to everybody. Because what you do about salvation and about this matter of salvation 
is what is going to determine where you spend eternity. So before we move deeper into this message this morning, by way of introduction, I want to give you a definition. Too often we forget as Christians that we can be sort of like a little bit of a subculture. And what I mean by that is that we have our own lingo. We have our own way of saying things that, you know, are are biblically based and so on. But sometimes the things that we say can be confusing to people who are not saved or people who do not know the Lord or have a biblical knowledge. And the word that I want to define today is the word that Jesus uses in verse 17. Jesus said, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Saved is the word that I want to consider for just a moment. We use that word often. We use that word in sermons that we preach. We use that word in testimonies that we give. And we use it just so commonly uh, in our lingo because we understand what it means. But those that are not saved may not understand exactly what it means when we use the word saved. We need to be saved. Jesus said that all the world through him might be saved. It's an important word. It's the Greek word, sodezo, and it literally means this, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction. It means to save one from injury or peril. It means to save a suffering one from perishing. That is, one suffering from disease, to make well, to heal, to restore. It means to preserve one who is in danger of destruction, to save or to rescue. It means to deliver from the penalties of judgment. That's what the word means. And if, we, if the word has that meaning, why does Jesus use it in regard to the soul? Now pay attention. Why does Jesus use it in regard to the soul? Well, first of all, because man in his natural state is a sinner. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When we come into this world, we arrive already under a death sentence. Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. The Bible tells us that we come forth from the womb speaking lies. A lie is a, is a violation or a breaking of God's law. That's what sin is. And unless a person is saved, then they will die in their sins and they'll spend eternity forever separated from the presence of God, experiencing the judgment of God. Now, if you're a right-thinking person here this morning, you do not want that to happen to you. Therefore, you need to know not only why you need to be saved, because you are in danger with God. You are in danger with God this morning. But you also need to know how you can be saved. Jesus said that all the world through Him might be saved. The question that arises then for us this morning, and really is the title of the message, Can God Really Save Your Soul? Can God really save you? Well, the answer to that question is yes, He can. 
And the Word of God gives us three reasons why in our text. This morning, we're going to look at God's promise to save. Secondly, God's power to save. And thirdly, God's provision to save. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd use your Word. Lord, I do pray for the souls of men that are without you. Lord, I pray that you'd bring conviction to their heart today. And as we sang this morning in the song, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Tell the tidings all around that Jesus saves. And Jesus said that he came into this world to save sinners, that all the world through him might be saved. And I pray, Lord, that you would, through your spirit, work in every heart to the accomplishing of your will. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, consider God's promise to save. Notice verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to draw your attention to that word, those two words, should not. Now, we remember the definition of what it means to be saved. It means to rescue from danger. It means to rescue from destruction. And Jesus says here that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That word or phrase, should not, it expresses an absolute denial. Should not what? Well, he should not perish. In other words, he will be rescued from danger. He will be rescued from destruction. Whosoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ will not perish, but have everlasting life. God promises that whosoever believes in Jesus Christ will not experience destruction, but be rescued and have everlasting life. God promised that if you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not perish. It's a promise. Now, there's some things about this promise to save that we need to understand. First of all, this promise is an old promise. This promise to save is an old promise. In the beginning, when God made man in His image, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord. And after they did, God made a promise to Eve in the garden. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Just keep your place here. But Genesis chapter 3. In verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. God makes a promise here that there's coming one who's going to defeat Satan, who's going to defeat sin, who's going to conquer death in the grave. And God made that promise after Adam and Eve sinned, but God's promise to provide a means of salvation is even older than that. Because Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8 tells us that Jesus is the Lamb that is slain from the foundation of the world. Peter takes it even farther when he says in 1 Peter 1.20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. 
These verses tell us that even before there was a sinner to save, even before there was a sin to cleanse, even before uh, uh, sin had entered into the world, the Lord had already formulated a plan to redeem sinful men. His plan is older than mankind. His plan is older than sin. His plan is older than Satan. It's older than, than, than hell, which was created for the devil and his angels. God's promise to save is an old promise that will never fail. And yet I would say this to you this morning. His promise to save is older than this world, and yet it is as new and it is as fresh as, 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 as this, this, day, this day itself is. God has always been and always will be a saving God. Not only do we see that His promise is to save is an old promise, but it also we see in our text that it's an ongoing promise. It's an ongoing promise because John 3 and verse 16, the second part says that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Have everlasting life is in the present tense. The word have means to hold. It means to presently possess. The word everlasting means perpetual. And God promises to save. And this saving promise is is an ongoing promise. And even though it's older than the world itself, God's promise to save still has the, the power of God behind it. It's as valid today as it's ever been. Jesus said in John 5, 24, Verily I say unto you that he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. This promise has never been lost. It will never lose its great power. God is a saving God and nothing will ever change that. Thirdly, we see that it's an open promise because the Bible tells us in verse 16 that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. Whosoever, it's an open promise. God's promise of salvation is not limited to a select few, but it's a promise that is offered to all men. And there are several Bible passages that we'll just quickly take a look at here. I'll read a couple for you. While I'm reading, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 3.22 says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. Verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Why is it unto all? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The word for means because. It's unto all them that believe because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 3, 1 Timothy 2, 3, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. God would have all men to be saved. And Jesus gave himself a ransom for all. 
it's clear from these verses that anybody who falls under the conviction of the Spirit of God, who understands and senses their need of salvation, can be saved by the grace of God. John 7, 37, the Bible says, In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, and Jesus said this, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Jesus cried, if any man thirst, let him come. The fact is, we're all sinners. We're all under the wrath of God. And therefore, we all need salvation. The problem is not everybody's willing to admit that. And yet the Bible says that we're in really sad shape apart from God. But people don't want to admit their real condition. Look in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. In verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. We've all strayed. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 that we're all basically useless apart from God. In simple terms, we all need what God has to offer us in His plan of salvation. God's promise to save whosoever would believe on Him should not, will not perish. We'll be rescued. So we see God's promise to save, but secondly, turn back to our text and notice God's power to save. John chapter 3, in verse 17. John three seventeen. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The world through Him, might be saved. He's promised to save, but He also has the power to do it. Just how does God go about bringing men to Himself in order to save them? Well, first of all, God has the power to call the sinner. God has the power to call the sinner. Understand this. Understand this very clearly. Nobody can be saved whenever they feel like it. I want you to just think about that for a second. Because you might be here this morning and you've not been saved. And you know it. And you've got it in your mind that at some point I'll deal with God. At some point I'll be serious about this. At some point I'll get saved. You might have had those thoughts in your heart and your mind. But understand this. You cannot get saved whenever you feel like it. The Bible says that the sinner apart from God is dead. Ephesians 2, verse 1, we're dead in trespasses and sins. What it means is that we possess no spiritual life. We are unable to approach God on our own. Here's another uh, passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 3, and verse 11 says, There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. As much as you might think, at some point I'll get serious about dealing with God, in your heart and in your soul and in your flesh, you do not seek after God, because if you did, you'd be falling on your face before the Lord right now. 
The only way the sinner can be saved is for him to be drawn by God. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6 here. We're in John chapter 3. Look in John chapter 6, please, in verse 44. We're talking about God's power to save. We've already considered His promise to save, but, but not only does He promise it, He's got the power to do it. He has the power to call the sinner to Himself. In John chapter 6, and verse 44, the Bible says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up the last day. Notice Jesus' words. No man, He says, no man can come to me except the Father which sent me draw him. What a great privilege it is to be drawn of God. What a great privilege it is for God to work in a person's heart. What mercy and grace to draw to himself. That is not of you. Look at verse 65 of John chapter 6. And he said... Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me, except it were given unto him of my Father. Nobody can come to the Lord except it be given unto him to do so of God. And what I'm simply saying is that salvation always originates with God in heaven. It never begins with man. You don't have the right to presume upon God. The blessing is that God gives everybody an opportunity. John 1, 9, that Jesus Christ is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into this world. God gives everybody an opportunity, but I would say this to you this morning. Never presume upon God. When God calls, that's the time to come to Him in repentance. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Understand this truth. God is not obligated to call you again. God is not obligated to call you again. Here's another truth. You can't bank on time. Oh, you're just trying to scare me, Pastor. No, I'm just telling you the truth. If you're scared, good, friend, because you're in danger with God if you're not saved. There ought to be a healthy fear. Don't bank on time. Proverbs 27, once is boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You don't have the promise of tomorrow. James 4, 14, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. I've told you this story before, but it's a story I will never forget. I'll never forget it. Because it was so impactful in my life, this, this truth that we don't have the promise of tomorrow. 
You probably remember me telling you about when I was in college, a companion of mine. I went to school, college for building, for construction. And we would often work on projects and there was a classmate of mine who was my partner and we were building, I think a shed or something like that. That was our project. And he was just furiously, furiously, feverishly working on a Thursday. And our project wasn't due for some time. And I asked him, why are you working so hard? Why are you, why are you acting this way? And he said, I, I got to get this done. I got to work. I got to get this done because I'm not going to be here tomorrow. And he was going hunting. I came to class the next day. And I walked in, and it was very somber in the room. Our teacher stood up in front of the class and said, this young man's name died last night when their hunting cabin caught on fire, and he was trapped, and he was burned, and he died. It just struck me. It hit me like a ton of bricks in that moment because less than 12 hours prior I had been talking to him standing with him communicating with him and the very last words that he said to me came ringing in my ears I'm not going to be here tomorrow if only he knew if only he knew the reality of that statement He's somewhere, but he's not here. And we know that the Bible says there's only one of two places that you're going to go when you die. What I'm simply saying to you this morning is don't presume upon God. When he calls, that is the time to respond because you do not have the promise of tomorrow. And by the way, I would say this to you as well. Don't run from repeated calls of God. Don't run from the repeated calls of God. God in His mercy and His grace extends opportunity and opportunity to people. And, and the fact that you're sitting here this morning, if you don't know the Lord, that is a measure of God's grace being extended to you right now. God's mercy. Don't run from the repeated calls of God because the Bible says in Proverbs 29.1, He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. The more that God calls, and the more that you resist and turn him away, the harder your heart can get. The end of that road is sudden destruction. And no mercy, no remedy. We're talking about God's power to save He's got power to call a sinner. And in His grace and in His mercy, He's extending opportunity to be saved. He's calling. You need to respond. Amen? Amen. Secondly, about the power to save, we see that He has the power to convert. Not only the power to call, but the power to convert. When a sinner places their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, 
God does a work of grace in their life that is so powerful that it cannot really be explained in just human terms. This is the new birth that Jesus was telling Nicodemus that he needed to experience. 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it this way, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Everything's brand new in your life when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What happens? Well, let me just give you a few things. First of all, all sin is immediately and completely forgiven. Your sin is immediately and completely forgiven. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. John 1, 29, John the Baptist, looking at Jesus, said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Not only is your sin forgiven, but you become a child of God. Look with me at 1 John chapter 3. Hold your place in the book of the Gospel of John and turn over to 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says, Behold, that word behold, it, basically we could describe it to mean wow. It's, a, it's just like this, it's, it's an amazement word. Behold, wow, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. In John 1, in verse 12, John says, To them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. What a great thing. Going from being an alien of God, an enemy of God, to being a son of God. Wow! Amen? Our sin is forgiven. We become a child of God. We're delivered from the power, the penalty, and the presence of sin. We become joint heirs with Jesus Christ, according to Romans 8, 17. But then we inherit an eternal heavenly home. And we'll not take the time to look at all of that. But what I'm saying is there's a complete transformation and a complete change, and everything becomes new. You know what? You need to be made new this morning. If you're not saved, you need to be made new. You need to experience the new birth. We could look at examples. We don't have the time this morning, but we can look at, at some examples of people who were changed by the power of God in salvation. You remember Saul, who was a persecutor, who was a murderer on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9. He saw Jesus Christ. He was converted. He became the Apostle Paul and how God completely transformed and used his life. You remember Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 10, who was a publican, who was a thief. He climbed up into a tree to see Jesus, and Jesus said, I'm coming to your house today. He was saved, and the evidence of his salvation was that he wanted to restore 
multitudes more than what he ever took from people. What a change in his life. That may not prove anything to you, but I know what the Lord's done for me in my life. I know who I was before he saved my soul. And if you're saved this morning, you can testify of the very same thing. You are a different person. And there's a lot, of, a lot more references we could look at. But these ought to prove to us that when God saves a person, He's got the power to change them forever. Thank the Lord there's power. Amen? Not only a promise to save, but the power to do it. And thirdly, and lastly, look in John chapter 3, God's provision. God's provision to save. We read in verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He gave His only begotten Son. God provided the way of salvation. Not only the promise to do it, the power to do it, but also the way to do it, the provision for it. What is it about this provision that we need to understand? First of all, we need to understand that He provided a substitute. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that plunged the entire human race into sin, and the entire human race fell under the curse of God. For a man to be redeemed... A man also had to die. However, not just any man would do. The one who died would have to be a perfect man. Amen? One without sin, without wickedness. The Lamb of God had to be without spot, without blemish. And God knew our inability. And God knew our need that we couldn't do anything about it ourselves, and so He provided for us that perfect substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the gift of God in Christ, it proves how much He loves you and me. God so loved the world that He gave. Romans 5.8 tells us that as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And here's the application this morning. When Jesus Christ gave Himself and died on the cross, understand this, He literally was taking your place. He was dying for you. So that you would not have to experience the judgment and the wrath of God. What does the word saved mean? To be rescued from danger and destruction. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, all of your sin, all of my sin, the sin of the whole world was put upon His shoulders and He died to pay the price for your sin. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. I'd quote it for you, but I want you to see it with your own eyes. 
2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. The Bible says, For he, that's God, hath made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God made Jesus, his son, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, so that you and I could be the righteous, be made righteous uh, uh, through Jesus Christ. What a wondrous and glorious exchange took place. His place, or my place for Him, His place for mine. He took my place on the cross. He took my sin. He's the perfect substitute. He paid the price for my sin. He also provided that perfect sacrifice. When Jesus was on the cross, His death and sacrifice were sufficient to provide for the saving of the entire world. The Bible tells us that He gave Himself once for all, that we might be made free from the grip of sin. I want you to look at Romans, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 9, because I want you to note this. His sacrifice was perfect, and it never has to be redone. What a glorious truth this is. It never has to be redone because it's perfect. In, in Hebrews chapter 9, in verse 24, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, as is it appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment." So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The Bible tells us that His sacrifice was perfect. It'll never have to be redone. He was sacrificed Himself once for all to bear the sin of the whole world. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, in verse 10, the Bible says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. We also need to remember and understand that without the shedding of his precious blood, there is no salvation possible for any man. Jesus told Nicodemus earlier on in this chapter, that his religion cannot save. His rituals and his practices will never save. The thing that he needed was the new birth. 
and nothing but faith in the blood of Jesus Christ will bring about the salvation of the soul. Now comes the crucial question as we close the message this morning. If God promised to save man, if He has the power to save him, He's provided the means to save him, how does one go about being saved? Well, the answer is found in our text. Go back one more time to John chapter 3. John 3 again, in verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever believeth in Him. The Bible tells us in no uncertain terms exactly what a person must do in order to be saved from their sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in His finished work of redemption for your soul. Believe that it is only His shed blood that can wash away your sin. Romans 10 and verse 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. In order to be saved, you need to acknowledge the claims of Jesus Christ. Our faith cannot be in works. It cannot be in religion. It cannot be in self-effort. It cannot be in self-righteousness. It cannot be in some profession that you had when you were little. It's got to be in the shed blood of Jesus Christ alone. The best thing that we can do the best thing that you can do this morning, if you're not saved, is simply take God at His word, accept His offer of salvation, the gift of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Maybe there's one this morning who's here and you've been plagued with doubts about salvation. You've got a profession, but there's something that's just not there. You've been plagued with doubts, but you haven't admitted it. You haven't wanted people to know. Maybe you've been struggling on the inside. Why don't you settle it today with the Lord? Maybe there are those who know that you're not saved, and the Spirit of God has been convicting you He's been drawing you by His power. If that's true, don't run. Yield your will and your life to the Lord today. Listen, He wants to save you from destruction. That destruction is His wrath. The Word of God is very clear and very plain. God is calling, and maybe you know that. And maybe you have this question, can God really save my soul? Well, you know your heart today. And all I ask you to do is listen to the Spirit of God as He is calling. Listen and obey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.
pray that you'd use the Word of God in hearts this morning. For those that are not saved, would you continue to draw them by your grace? May they humble themselves today to be saved, to be rescued from the danger and the destruction of the wrath of God. Pray for our young ones, the youth of our church, who need the Lord as you draw them and as they learn about the Lord Jesus Christ, as they understand more about the offense of their sin toward God. Lord, I pray that they would have a tender heart. Lord, for anyone in this room, only you know. Only you can see into the heart of men. But Lord, I pray that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.